A very warm welcome to Fly to Freedom, an eating disorder recovery podcast that aims to give hope and inspiration to others trapped in the dark prison of an eating disorder. To reach out and take steps to recover and fly to freedom and peace. I'm Julia Trahane, your host, an eating disorder recovery coach who is now living in freedom after 40 years of anorexia, orthorexia and exercise addiction. My mission is to give love and support to anyone who feels ready to start their recovery journey. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm very grateful to you for being here. Please like, follow and rate it to enable me to reach others who need help. Right, let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to Fly to Freedom and today I'm joined by a special guest, Anne Richardson, the eating disorder nutritionist. Anne is a registered nutritional therapist who exclusively works with disordered eaters, whether they have received a formal diagnosis or not. She focuses her work more on restriction, so her clients tend to suffer from anorexia, orthorexia and bulimia mostly. She is currently doing a diploma in cognitive behavioural therapy, and this is reflected in her practice, which blends nutrition with CBT. She mostly works online from her home in Devon. Thank you, Anne, so much for joining us. Hi, Anne, and welcome to Flight to Freedom. Great to have you with us. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, if we can just start off with just the quick fire questions. So, um, what is your favourite sound? The sea. The sea. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I live near the sea and it's amazing. Has a book ever changed your life? And what book was it? I want to say this book will change your life, but um, it, it didn't change my life. Um, it was good, but it didn't change my life. Um, I, I don't think there is one book. I read quite, quite a bit, but I don't think there is one book. But I remember reading Untamed, and that sort of um, definitely did something for me. Is that the Doyle um, one? Yeah. Um, but there were others. There's been others. Um, I because I'm French, I read also in in French. So there's lots of of other books that maybe I can't didn't necessarily talk about on this podcast because it won't talk to anyone. Um, but no, I don't think there is one book. Okay. When you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to be a pharmacist. Oh wow! <laughs> what is that? My mum was a pharmacist. Um, but a, a little bit later than that, I, I knew I wanted to do something in food. Okay. Very early on. Wow. Very early on. I even tried to do dietetics when I was, I suppose, a teenager, like 14. I went to you know, like a, a careers fair. And immediately I was told no because I wasn't good enough in math, which was true. I wasn't that good at math. But... Frankly, I'm doing fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I needed to be so good at math, but uh, in France, it, it, we need to be super good at math to do this. Um, uh, but then I wanted to be a food writer. So it's always been food. You know, the pharmacy thing was just not, you know, wanted to be like my mum. But yeah. um, after that, very, very quickly, it was, it was always to do with food. That's amazing that you followed that theme through your life. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to be a nutritionist. I wasn't really in the plan at all. But food, sort of cooking, making food, there's lots, lots of stories I could tell you about me trying to do to do stuff like that, you know, going to bookshops and reading about, you know, like looking at cookery books. I remember there was this place in Portobello and I was reading about this. I was looking at all the cookery books and they were quite expensive, so I couldn't really buy them. And there was like a kitchen attached to it and the guy, the chef came around and he said, oh, I can teach you, you know, if you come early in the morning, I'll teach you. And I was thinking, this is great. And I'm thinking as a you know, middle-aged woman, I'm thinking, oh my God, thank God I never went. That sounds well creepy. <laughs> why would I, why would you do that? So, and I tried to help out in the kitchen when I like lived in London. Um, it never really happened because, because it didn't, but, uh, it, I was set on this. I did lots of placement at um, magazines again when I lived in London, um, Good Food magazine, you know, as an unpaid slave. I worked there for a bit. Uh, good housekeeping, I mean, all sorts of things. It was all to do with food, food, wow. food, food. Um, so what is your favourite food? Well, it's difficult for me to say just one, but I think bread, bread is my Oh, nice. I that actually thought I, didn't, I thought I didn't like bread for so many years. Mm. Um, it turns out I do, and it's really nice. Yeah. And the last question, if you had a magic wand and you could use it once to change one thing about the world, what would you use it for? Oh, God. I like things to be fair. And I think in this world, things aren't fair. And I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle thinking, you know, reading the news and reading stuff. And I just go, that's not fair. How, how can this happen? I think I think that's what I would change. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea of kids being sort of mistreated, that kind of stuff, I can't, can't quite cope with that. So that's probably what I would change. Awesome. So would you mind sharing a little bit of your story about how you got to be working as an eating disorder nutritionist and what led you to this place? Okay. This is a five hour podcast, right? Just <laughs> I said a little, little bit of your journey. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> So I got ill and I got better. Um, no, no. Um, so as I said, I um, so I'm French. So I grew up in France. Um, there's lots of good food in France. Um, I come from a family where we just love food. No one's got a problem with food. No one's got a problem with weight, body weight. I mean, I say no one's got a problem. I think my dad was uh, was is still um, very much the fattest. So I think there was that in the background. You know, mustn't be fat. Mm -hmm. yeah, really. Um, People always assume it is the mum, but it wasn't my mum. My mum just just did her thing, um, and um, yeah, I don't um, I guess teenagers. Teenagers just went a little bit wrong. Why? I guess hormones just go all of the place. You know, your body changes as a as a girl, uh, as a boy as well. But my body, you know, I put on a little bit of um, a bit of weight. Nothing excessive, not that I can see. But at the time, it felt massive. I felt like I was the biggest one of all of my friends. I wasn't particularly what you would call pretty, so I wasn't particularly popular with the boys. You know, I was, 
I was kind of like there in the background, you know, hanging out with a really pretty girl. And I was just part of the furniture kind of thing, which I didn't like. There was lots of problems at home. And um, I started restricting my food intake to be healthier. Um, and and I didn't become healthier. I, I lost weight, which I also wanted to do. It worked pretty well. And then people just validated that oh my goodness you've lost weight you look so good and I said yeah I do you know uh, and I thought well if I carry on I look even better so I did and all those boys you know who had never realized my existence were now very interested in me and it was nice and so I carried on and and, and I carried on and then one day I realized that um no one was paying me compliments people looked terrified of me and that's because I looked awful and I, um, I felt awful as well. Um, and clearly I had um, developed an eating disorder. It was the late 90s, so uh, there wasn't a huge amount of health, especially in France. You're supposed to be slim anyway or thin, so, you know, good for you. So people were noticing, and it wasn't sort of towards the end, people were not saying it's great, but it's not like I was also sent to the doctor, really. No one really did anything about it. Um the good thing about me is that I'm really stubborn. And um, I think one day, I think it sounds weird, but I, I, not one day, but little by little, I decided, oh, I am through my eating disorder. I became tired, not just physically, because I was in eating anything and, you know, my body wasn't coping, but also mentally tired of thinking, counting, calculating, manipulating, and I just felt exhausted. Yeah. And I think a catalyst is that I moved to the UK when I was 19, um, and I got the opportunity to reinvent myself. I think that sort of saved me. I think London saved me. Um, first of all, I was in this big city. No one cared about little me. There were people from lots of different colours, different different sizes, you know, no one cared. That was quite freeing compared to my little village. And um, and also in London, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of the girl with an eating disorder. I was kind of like French Anne. Uh-huh. And I still am not French Anne, um, even though I'm not in London anymore. Um, and so little by little, I started sort of eating a bit more and then eating a bit more. And and it took a while, but I got better. Um, so I'm, I'm really lucky that I got better without much help, actually. But I, I quickly realized that it made me feel better when people weren't disgusted by me. And I had friends and I had boyfriends and what have you. And... Um, and then, you know, I carried on living. And as I said, my, my, my dream was to work in with food. So I wanted to be a food writer, really. Um, but it's difficult to find a job, um, such a job in, in London, you know, without any connections. And I've got zero connection whatsoever. Um, so I did a little bit of work experience in magazines. And then people redirected me towards publishing. And then people said, actually, don't be an editor your English is probably not good enough, which is actually rubbish because my written English is probably quite good because, you know, I did study English. But anyway, so I was redirected in sales and I did sales. And um, and then I had a quarter-life crisis at uh, 26 and I decided I didn't want to do this anymore. And um, 
I wanted something different. I wanted to help people. And um, someone said, oh, you know, we're about nutrition. You always talk about food, you know, just do that. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that. So mm-hmm. I decided to become a nutritionist, but not to do anything to do with eating disorders, not to make people lose weight and, and nothing like that. I was generally interested in food and, and the impact it could have on our body. I had seen that with food, you get better. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. And as I started working after three years of studying, four years, um, I, I just realized that people were coming to me and they were just saying really weird things, things that frankly reminded me of an eating disorder that didn't look like they had an eating disorder, but they were saying really funny things. Like, you know, you mentioned bread earlier. People would say, I would see their food diary, I wouldn't see any bread. So we go, you know, I can see you don't eat bread. So, you know, you you gluten, are you celiac? And you go, no, no, I can't eat bread. And I go, we're not. And I said, well, if I buy it, I eat it. And I would go like, isn't that what you're supposed to be doing with bread? You know, I thought that's kind of the plan. And they would go, no, 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 you don't get it. I, I will eat the whole loaf. And people would say that often. Um, and then I worked at a residential um, weight loss retreat, which I didn't love, but, you know, it was money. And, mm-hmm. um, and people would come and, and tell me their stories. And they were people in larger bodies, um, older people. And the more I listened to their stories, the more I realized that actually, potentially in the past, they had some kind of eating disorder there that wasn't checked and wasn't sort of dealt with and there were people who were really unhappy and struggling and people were saying to them well that's because you eat too much and I thought hang on a minute there's something something there so I thought right I'm going to retrain not retrain but train further and learn a little bit more about eating disorders and so I did that and um, very quickly I decided to only do that and that's what I've been doing for quite a few years now amazing thank you for sharing that that's managed in less than five hours (laughs) yes yep good timings there so um let's talk about food and eating disorders and how do you believe society promotes eating disorders in the way food and health are kind of labeled i think promotes is probably not the right word but maybe sort of ignite mm-hmm. would be better um i think we're always seesawing i'm writing a talk at the moment and that's kind of what i want to say in my talk we're always sort of saying oh have this have this have this or oh no actually don't have this at all and we're just doing that and that i don't think it's very good for the brain and actually it's not very good for the body the body doesn't doesn't like sort of extreme the body love what we call homeostasis, sort of like stable. Um, and in the way we talk about food, it's never stable. It's either, you know, this is going to give you cancer and you're going to become obese or, you know, have as much as you want because, yay, you know, have a good day. And I don't, I don't think that's fair for people because complicated if you don't know anything about nutrition to understand what, what's right and what's wrong and and the thing is that they both have a little bit of, of right and, and a lot of wrong um so mm-hmm. i don't think it promotes but i think the way the, the the way we talk about food can ignite uh an eating disorder 
Yes, I would agree. Um, do you think there are good foods and bad foods and healthy <laughs> foods and unhealthy foods? No. No, absolutely not. Food is food. Um, some food we need more of and some food less of. Um, I've just eaten um, a Fredo. No. Oh, nice. Is it a Fredo. caramel one? No, I don't like the caramel ones. I don't love caramel. I like just normal Fredo. So, um, um, is it good? Is it bad? I think it's really good. I tasted good. It made me feel good. Um, do I need to have 20 of them? Probably not, because that's not what my body needs the most of. Uh, I had that after I had lunch and, you know, I had some bread and I had some fat and blah, blah, blah. Um, all of that was good. Um, it served a purpose. Um, you know, my, my youngest um, asked me a while ago. I'm not sure I can tell the story completely because it was a while ago. Um, but he said to me, he must have been six or something or seven. He said, what happens to you, mummy? If you only eat carrots, and I go, well, you're going to get really bored of carrots. Well, you're going to get orange as well, but you're going to get really bored of carrots. Um, the thing is, carrots are great, but if you only ate carrots, it wouldn't be so good. You'd be diff you wouldn't have enough protein, enough fat, you know, and you would be really dull. So to say that carrots are healthy, no. And to say that credits are unhealthy, not really, you know, I got some sugar, but I also got some pleasure and, you know, uh, I didn't eat chocolate with them. It's it's fine. You know, my body can handle a bit of sugar. What's the problem? So, no, nothing is healthy and healthy. I mean, I wouldn't eat plastic because, you know, I don't think it's a food. Um, there are some things I wouldn't eat because I think they taste absolutely vile. Um, and some foods are more... Um, healthful than others clearly a Fredo is not the epitome of nutrition mm -hmm. but I don't see a problem with a Fredo. Fair enough. Um, going on to the the Fredo having some sugar a lot of people claim mm. that they're addicted to sugar. Mm. Do you think there is such a thing as sugar addiction? Well, funny enough, my talk is about sugar, so I'm looking into that. And so far, what I see is that it can feel like sugar is addictive, but it's not the same as having an addiction. Um, I don't want to belittle people who feel sort of in the, the throes of sugars, uh, not saying their experience is wrong, but I don't think we can compare sugar to cocaine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you can feel like you are addicted to addicted to it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Now, going on to eating disorder recovery, particularly something like anorexia or another very restrictive eating disorder, there's lots of different viewpoints about how much food and what sort of food should be eaten <laughs> in recovery. Do you think there is such a thing as too much food in restrictive eating disorder recovery? If somebody has, say, got extreme hunger and just wants to eat? No, at that point, I would say no, just eat. Um, there can be moments when it's it's um, potentially dangerous. Um, you know, I have a, a couple of clients at the moment, new clients, and they eat very, very little. So I can't just say, oh, here we go, eat as much as yeah. you want. First of all, it's going to be almost impossible for them to do that. So it's really silly to say that. But also, 
it could be dangerous. You could you could uh, induce something called refeeding syndrome, uh, which is fatal. So no, don't do that. Um, but if someone is is hungry, I would say yes, you can carry on eating. Um, the the thing is, some people in recovery need a huge amount of food. If we're not all equal, which is why we can't have like a, an exact meal plan. People often ask me whether I give like a meal plan. Yes, but it's quite rough. Not because I want to be vague, but it's because it depends on people. I don't know how how much they're going to need. You know, we have vague ideas of you know a middle aged woman. You know, is going to need about like two thousand calories, but in recovery. I don't know, you might need 2,500, you know, three, five, I don't know. Okay. Um, processed foods in recovery are pretty beneficial, aren't they? Yeah, I did, I did a post on that not so long ago, um, which, um, yeah, I thought I'm going to get completely slammed for this. <laughs> and I'm such a bad nutritionist in a way. Um, but I think they have their place. They have their place. Again, I'm not saying it's a good idea to just eat uh, Angel's Delight. And um, I don't think it's ever a good idea to eat Angel's Delight, so I don't really get the, the thing. But, you know, and so I, I think it's a French thing. So many years. It's a French thing, I reckon. But, um, you know, processed food or ultra-processed food, because I think that's what we're talking about, because yes. a kind of tuna is processed right so ultra processed food are foods that um typically don't hold a lot of nutritional value so that's why we tend to say to people don't eat too much of of that because mm -hmm. you know you're not giving your body what it needs and i think that's fair to say that but uh someone in an in eating sort of recovery is not a normal eater they don't have the same needs so Often, actually, we will tell people to do things in recovery which are completely at odds with the, the normal guidelines we tell other people. And I think that's quite good, actually, for the brain to kind of to also unlearn things. But there is also a reason why we're saying this. So I often take the example of a Mac Flurry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but anyway. Um, so the type of uh, of ice cream you get in a fast food place, you know, people would go, you know, that is terrible, very processed, and what there is in it, you know. Again, I'm saying it's probably like not the most nutritious thing ever. Having said that, if you are underweight, um, it's actually not bad because you get quite a bit of energy in there. I mean, I'm guessing I haven't really looked at nutritional value, but I'm guessing there's quite a bit of of sugar in there, a bit of fat, you know. That's what we want. We want that. Yes. We also probably don't have a great amount of protein, which we want in recovery, but not too much. If you are recovering from anorexia, you need to eat a lot of food. If all the food that you eat is really high in protein, it's going to be tough because protein is quite filling. So you don't want all your food to be super filling. Otherwise, you're not going to make it to the end of your meal plan at the end of the day. Yeah. And... Um, and also the good thing about those kinds of ice cream is that they're quite easy to eat. They're sort of semi-liquid. It's easier to eat and also to digest. And one of the reasons why it's really easy or easier to digest is that it contains very, very little fiber. Now, again, we keep saying to people, you need to eat more protein and more fiber, 
less sugar, less fat. And I'm saying, hey, I have that. But that's because your needs are different. Fiber, again, is really feeling. You don't want lots and lots of that. Um, so in that case, ultra-processed food is just a ticket. Yeah. So go, going to the fiber, mm -hmm. a lot of people, not everybody, um, but a lot of people suffer from really, really slow digestion, like a gastroparesis in certainly in early recovery from a restricted mm -hmm. eating disorder. Can that be helped with particular foods or types of eating? Um, yes, but I think the priority there is not going to be fiber. Fiber is something we're going to concentrate on towards the end because it's not just about just eating my flurries until, you know, the end of, you know, your life. Um, mm -hmm. The plan is always changing. I think at the beginning, if you want to ease um, gastroparesis, I would probably prioritize fat rather than fiber. Okay. Amazing. That's really helpful to people. Um, what about, I know, it's, I don't think it's so much anymore, but a lot of residential eating disorder centers have given a target weight for people to get to. What is your thoughts on target weights, target BMIs versus the set point weight range? I think we have to look at things for what they are. A residential center or a hospital unit is there to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be different to uh, the kind of um, work I do with people. They're going to see people in absolute crisis and they're going to gonna keep them alive and keep them safe. Uh, and they are going to be using more measurable uh, tools than maybe I will because it's quite crucial that the person gets better. So I have sympathy with them for using target weights. I think you do need to know where you're going and there, need, there needs to be some kind of idea. Um, what is not helpful is to convey that weight to the person and say, right, you know, you know, if you get to that weight, then that's good because Chances are the person is still undernourished and is still scared and still not thinking straight. So it it's quite common that the person latches on to that number and they go, they come to me and they go, well, the hospital said uh, at that weight I would be healthy. So I, I've reached that weight, so I'm healthy. So mm -hmm. what do you need to do about it? Especially teenagers are like, what are you going to yeah. do about it? And, um, <laughs> and so that's quite, it's quite annoying and it's quite difficult because... Um, I have to explain to them that uh, a target is not necessarily the, um, um, the optimum weight. Uh, it's not because you stay alive that you are functioning. Um, yeah. there's, there's lots of nuances that uh, we need to then add to, to that target. But I understand why they're doing it. And I know it's not like on Instagram, people might disagree and people might just go, it's terrible when you do all be very fluid but I understand why they have targets what you know they need to work to to some kind of targets I think just be careful what you share with the person 
Um, and it's the same with weight. I, I find that in a lot of residential unions, people are getting weight, which is, you know, kind of needed because we need to know whether the program is working or whether the person is losing weight. I get that, absolutely. But often people see their weight. And often what I hear is that the, the unit or the hospital say to the person, you need to mm, make peace with your weight and with the number. So I am going to show you the number. Again, I understand that, but, but at the beginning, it's really too soon to do this. So I would prefer blind weight, um, blind weighing, um, because then the person is recovering, but they don't get attached to the number. Um, when they're better, you know, if they know the number, fine. Maybe they need to know that X number is not too much, but not at the beginning. What do the numbers mean anyway, really? Yeah, the numbers change all the time. I never weigh myself. I have no idea, but um, I'm sure I lose weight, gain weight, not visibly, but I probably do because do I eat exactly the same thing from one day to the other? No, you know, um, but I'm sure I, I follow some trends because of my taste and my schedule and, you know, my ex, uh, access to food and and all that, um, but numbers, do they really mean anything? And also as a, a teenager, something to kind of mention as well, as teenagers, your weight is going to change. You cannot be the same weight as at 13 as you're going to be at 18. Yes. And they often fail to understand that. And so they might, I remember I had this lovely client and she was told in biology lesson, you know, uh, girls uh, who are 13 uh, um, typically weigh X. Um, I don't know if she was told that or if they were told that or or if the, the teacher said should weigh X. Or I'm sure the teacher was good and sort of nuanced it, but what the girl heard was you need to weigh that if you're 13, and she didn't. And, and then she kept wanting to stay there, but I was like, hey, you're 15. That doesn't work. I mean, it didn't work to start with, but that definitely doesn't work because you're 15. Your body has changed. Chances are you've grown. And da, 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 da. Yes. Yes, no, the numbers don't mean that much, really. Yeah, and our bodies change so much through our lives, through puberty, through having children, if you choose to have children, through the menopause. Our bodies just mm -hmm. change as we age, so they mm -hmm. can't possibly stay the same weight throughout. No. No. And nobody expects to stay the same weight that they were born at, do they? No, that's true. That'd be, uh, that'd be very low. That would be very, very low. We'd all be very, very small. <laughs> Gulliver's Travels, wouldn't it? So again? Yeah, oh, yeah. Gulliver's Travels with the little people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with set weight range, a lot of people do often overshoot their pre-eating disorder weight when they recover. Mm. Can you explain a little bit behind that, please? Well, I guess my first question is, have they, have they really overshot it? Or were they, or is it possible that they were not at the sort of, the optimum weight to start with? I think there is, there is that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I see that with teenagers, they started at one weight and then they went down and then they get better. And then they, they go higher and they go, well, I'm much bigger than I was. I'm much heavier than I was. But I'm like, 
maybe because you have grown, maybe you're a different person or maybe you were never at your right weight. So that's the first thing. Um, I think the, the, the studies on that, that I've read, so I haven't really looked into that in a huge amount of details, but um, seem to suggest that sometimes people overshoot and then come down but it's not like very clear cut it's not really understood why some people do and why some people don't um i don't think i did um so we don't seem to be all equal around that but it's um as I, I remember seeing a study that i think said that if you no hang on i'm not going to say that because i'm going to make a mess of this and so i don't want to i don't want to uh, to do it um but it seems that um the overshooting um process comes from um a consequence of starvation the body will starve for quite a long time and then starts to give it some food and um, the body will repair what it needs to repair. And then it might store a little bit. Uh, we might put aside some um, more sort of um, fuel in case it happens again. Yes. It's a bit, it seems to be a bit like the yo-yo dieting sort of process. People diet and, and then we gain weight and a bit more because the body goes, well, they might do that again. So I'm going to be prepared. Um, the reality is that even though it can be dangerous, we can be um, not so help, helpful to be overweight. Uh, it tends to be healthier to be uh, overweight than underweight. Um, certainly, the body would prefer someone who is a bit larger than someone who is a bit smaller. I always say to people, you know, if there was like some kind of apocalypse, you know, the skinny people would die fast because they, they, they won't have as much storage. So maybe it's just sort of like a coping mechanism or survival sort of um, mechanism from the body thinking, right, this could happen again. So I'm going to sort of store some more in case it happens. Yeah. Um, that's the way I, I, I see it. But as I said, you know, I would have to read studies um in a bit more details on that yeah it makes a lot of sense it goes back to like the caveman days and famines doesn't it mm. and when people feasted they would store weight because there could well be another famine around the corner and it would help them to survive to have that extra on them wouldn't it yeah that's probably why we've done so well actually as a species is because we, we were able to regulate our weight and um and put a bit on and then sort of utilize that way that's quite normal um and that's quite good yes yeah it's our bodies are so clever they really are incredibly clever mm. and one other thing i wanted to ask that some of my clients have asked me and i do hear quite often is okay I will start eating, but I'm only going to eat, quote, healthy foods because I don't want to be unhealthy. What would you speak, say to that? I would first, and my clients would know exactly what I'd say, I would say, what's healthy food? 
Mm -hmm. I want to know what is their uh, definition of healthy food. And we probably would spend quite a bit of time talking about that. Um, we go back to what I was saying about ultra processed food. What is healthy for one person might not be for another person. Normal eaters and sorted eaters don't have the same guidelines. We, we're not following the same rules. Um, and so what's not healthy uh, for you know someone could be healthy for you. And also, is it the food that's unhealthy or is it the dose? And again, that's something I talk about with people um, a lot. And we go back to the Fredder, okay? The Fredder hasn't got a lot of much apart from sugar and yumminess. Is it unhealthy if I eat Fredder, you know, now and again or daily? Um, not really, I think, because the dose is really small. Um, so that's kind of what I would explore with people. I wouldn't have like a set answer to that. We would explore what what they mean by that, and and how how would they know that they're unhealthy? What would would that what would that look like? What's unhealthy to them? Mm -hmm. How do we measure that? And what what are they nourishing? Their body, their mind, their emotions. Mm. Food nourishes more than just the physical body, doesn't it? Sure, sure. That's why I had the chocolate. It was, it was just was nice. I, I didn't really kind of process, you know, why and wherefores and blah, blah, blah. But it's nice. It's just a bit sort of progressive. It's, uh, you know, it's Tuesday, it's, you know, 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock, whatever time it is. And, you know, I've got a long week ahead of me. It's nice to have a bit of chocolate, you know. It's nice to be a kid for a little bit and not be, you know, the person in charge and mummy and, and all of that. It's, that's it that's just what it's like it's just nice yeah. yeah and we can nourish all aspects of ourselves what do you think or how helpful or unhelpful do you think the addition of displaying the calories on menus when you go out to eat is well, I think you know what I'm going to say about that. I um, <laughs> I hate it. Like I think pretty much everyone working in this industry and and other people, I think it's stupid and I don't think it's helpful in any ways. I think it's created a lot of um, a lot of work for some people. I guess some people make money out of it. They have to read menus and stuff. Um, I would say. First of all, it's not helping people who are in larger bodies who maybe would like to um, to not be in a larger body because, you know, we've got to stop thinking that those people are stupid. When they choose whatever they choose, which may be uh, a higher calorie uh, meal, they know about it. Most people know that, you know, stop treating people like idiots. But they're choosing that food because it tastes good and because of other reasons that we don't know about because we're not them. So they probably feel even worse now. So thanks. You know, those people, um, now they also feel bad when they are ordering the food. They felt bad already, but now they feel even worse. And the people who are struggling with food are going to struggle even more because they are not going to choose what they want. They are going to choose the lowest calorie option. And it, it was already happening before, but I think it's more um, more prominent now. Um, of course, you can always ask not to have the menu. Um, but I found that when I go, because um, you can ask for a different menu, a menu without calories, 
But I find that in a lot of restaurants I go to, I don't know if it says something about the restaurants I go to, but the menu is already on the table. So it's actually quite hard. Um, It's just there. And, yeah, it's hard to sort of um, dissociate from that. And I guess what I would say to people is um, the food before um, it had the calories on, you know, at that time, you know, when we didn't have calories on, um, was as sort of calorific, fattening or whatever, healthy as it is now. It's just that you didn't know about it. So if you've managed to eat that food in the past, surely you can eat it now or you can give it a go because it hasn't changed. It's just that now you know more information about it. So it feels worse, but it's actually the same food. Yes, that's a really great point and a really good way to think about it. Thank you mm. for sharing that. That's okay. So if people would like to work with you, how do they find out more about you and get hold of you? Um, well, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm under The Eating Disorder Nutritionist. And that's also my website. So theeatingdisordernutritionist.com.co.uk. Not .com. .co.uk. I'm English. Um, <laughs> French, French English. French with uh, English half. Um so yeah, you can sort of um, get hold of me um, that way. I work mostly one-to-one with people. Um, that's kind of the way I prefer to work with people. Um, I tend to work with people for uh, a while. So I'm not the kind of person you come and see for just one session, unless mm-hmm. you want some guidance. I do that. But um, often people just, we have a chat, and then people sort of decide to spend a bit of time with me. You're not like locked and you don't have, you can't ever sort of stop seeing me. But uh, I just feel like you need quite a bit of time. If you've got an eating disorder, you need a bit of time to um, to get better. You need to allow that time. So just, you know, working with someone for a month or even two months is unlikely to provide um, really good results. So I now just say to people, you know, let's just commit to being together for six months and then um, work at our pace and... Um, See how it goes. Um, if people get really good, you know, much better after three months, you know, they can always leave. We can always have a discussion. But um, usually I work with people for six months um, plus. It's amazing. Well, of course, everybody recovers at different rates, don't they? Yeah, yeah I mean, of course. And it depends on your age. You know, it depends on how long you've been um, you've been struggling. It depends what state you are at when you come to see yeah. me. Uh, it's just a bit of or a bit scared it's not going to be the same as someone who is very underweight and who has had like five hospital admissions and etc it's it's not the same thing yeah yeah um i'll put all your details in the show notes so people can get hold of you is there anything you feel we haven't covered that you would like to say to the listeners at all probably but i can't think of anything (laughs) right now um I could talk for France and England together. So, yeah, I'm sure there's lots more stuff that we'd like to talk about. I can't think of anything right now. Um, Sorry, mine's gone blank. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. And I'd like to say a huge thank you. And I'm so grateful to the listeners for listening in. And please do rate this podcast five stars so that we can reach more people. And recovery is possible. It really, really is. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Thank you so much for listening. 
And thank you, Anne, so much for being a guest. You've been amazing. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do remember to give me a follow and a five-star rating. This will enable me to reach more people that need help. If you would like to talk to me about how to work with me and you're ready to take the next step, just check out my website at juliatrahane.com. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful.